Recording in progress. What's up, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the Where It Went podcast, where normally we are going through the Revelation Records discography in chronological order, but as we have proven time and time again, sometimes we, you know, we take little detours, or maybe sometimes we take a U-turn and we wind up at a previous destination. So that's where we're at today. Um, Jason, after you're done drinking that tea, why don't you tell everybody what we're going to talk about today? After you unmute yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Today, today we're taking a U-turn to talk about Revelation Records, number 31, Orange Eye Millimeter, self-titled 12-inch. Didn't we already talk about that? Yeah, we did. So why are we here today? Because it's fucking great. But is there something different from the last episode? <laughs> yeah, Jason. Yeah. So, so for this one, this is out of character for us for a regular episode. We've mm-hmm. had Patreons where, you know, we had one where it was just Hav. We had a couple with me and Jason. Because you got to keep in mind, we're in people got to realize we're not in the same room. We're all in different, well, Hobbs in a different time zone, me and Jason. Yeah. Are um, so Jason and I got to talk with uh, Chaka and Chris from orange nine millimeter and uh just kind of so this is sort of a nice compendium to episode 31 where we talked with uh founding member eric rice Mm -hmm. so if you haven't listened to that one play that first and then play this one uh because we kind of try to fill in a few gaps uh or just you know add some different perspective with this one so we just figured it's you know we had a I mean, Chaka is always great to talk to, and it was yeah. cool to meet, meet Chris mm-hmm. and talk to him. So it was a no-brainer to to do this and have this chat. So um, I don't know. Before we get into the interview, do you think we should quick take a minute to... It's Friday right now, and I've already trained jujitsu six times this week and worked out with my personal trainer. In addition to my already rigorous schedule of kids running a small record label, being a, you know, family man. And so I've had to drink a shitload of coffee this week, black coffee, thankfully. But then because I drink so much coffee and yerba mate, I also need to drink tea at night to kind of balance that out. And a lot of magnesium, a lot of vitamins, vitamin B, vitamin D, vitamin C. So luckily we have some friends who can fill that need for coffee and tea, and that is Essex Coffee Roasters. That's right. And if you go to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, order some coffee, use the damn discount code. I'm telling you, 10% off, portion of the proceeds go to charity, ethically sourced beans, they're fresh, it is delicious coffee. Tell all your friends, order the coffee, support a small punk rock, hardcore owned business and stay up all night. It's really just a win, win, win. And yeah. it is descendants approved, which mm. I watched filmage again this week and it's a great movie. And Bill Stevenson talking about how hard it was to find coffee when they were touring in the 80s and now 
And he was even like, you could just go on the corner and get an espresso anywhere. And we had to just like drink all this black sludge, you know, instant coffee. And, um, and, but now we, we have all manner of coffee making um, mechanisms here at my home. We got French press and AeroPress and Chemex, and they all make Essex coffee taste delicious. And then you got people like my wife who love the taste of coffee, but she doesn't want the, she doesn't drink caffeine right now. And so she got, she likes, uh, what's it called? I don't even know what it's called. Cause I don't, I, I don't take it. What is it? Decaf. Oh God. Yeah. She has, no, she she'll not that. commit decaf. So, uh, you know, I, I have to accept we realize in 2021, you have to accept people for the way that they are, even if they like decaf. And so luckily Essex can, you know, accommodate people. <laughs> you know, like it's that. funny. You mentioned descendants for a while. I was on strictly decaf and I would drink decaf from that. Thou shalt not partake of decaf mug. Mm. I felt, I felt like I was being like offensive. a hypocrite. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, so definitely check them out. And, uh, Order some coffee. You know, did you see what the code was? Yeah, what's the code? Oh no, Jason. Yeah, you didn't say the code. Jason, what is it? I was marveling at the two black flag references that no one picked up on. Mm. We had family man and black coffee, Mm. but the code is not either of those. The code is where it went to get ten percent. Boom! That rhymes. And speaking of descendants, uh, this. Week we put up a Patreon-only episode where we discuss the Dag Nasty discography, and they have a lot of common ties with Descendants. And so, if someone wanted to listen to that episode, how would they do it? Uh, they can email us directly for a link. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we just put up a, a file. We'll just send them. Yeah. No, uh, join. So that's one of the things. Yeah, Patreon. What we do, believe it or not, this takes a lot of work, a lot of time. You know, we want to make sure we have good equipment, mics, all that stuff. So it does really help. Um, it helps us with getting research materials for, you know, episodes. and It helps us to uh, send gifts to, yeah. uh, to past people who have influenced us and helped us out. Yeah, good call. So whereitwentpodcast.com, we have this snazzy website where you can actually listen to the episodes. I know there's some people who don't really like using you know, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, so you can listen on there. And uh, there's a link to become a patron. We have several tiers, whatever works for you. We have a Discord that is always popping, a Discord channel that you'll get access to. Um, Did you say that they get to listen to it a day early? Yes. So uh, episodes post a day early. We got some cool bonus stuff lined up for real. I know like this, this Dag Nasty Challenge one was such a fun thing. Like I want people to hear it. Like Oisey, I would love any excuse to have that guy back on the show. He was just such was a great. delight to speak to. Agreed. Um, we have another episode this month's second episode that will be coming out to patrons will be uh Jason and I chat had a chat with Brian from End on End podcast. It was also just a nice fun chat, you know, heavy on the Discord. Um and just like, you know, super super cool, but yeah, it definitely helps. Um I was going to say something I haven't mentioned in a while. If you haven't yet 
Go on to Apple Podcasts, give a rating, write a review. Nice. Supposedly, it really helps algorithmically. Mm. Um, and like, I was like, wow, nobody's given us a written review since February. So be our first summertime uh, review, write something nice, and maybe we'll read it on here or whatever. Um, and I will assure you that for the quarterly Zoom that we have coming up for patrons, um, which will be, you know, I know the quarter ends end of June, but so it'll be a little late, but I promise you it will be worth the wait. And that's all I can say about it, but it will be like, you will want to be a part of it. I agree. Good things come to those who wait. Yep. Wow. Um, and then I have one other, uh, just a bit of bow that is topical. Uh, today, as we're listening to this, it's Friday. Uh, it's Friday, and the Orange 9mm reissue of um, their final album, Pretend I'm Human, it's like remastered, uh, is up on all streaming services now. On, it's a, on a label called 30-something Records. Remaster sounds great. Um, also, that human. record was like hard to find, right? Very. It yeah. was like you it only was on CD. Mm-hmm. Um, it came in, I remember it came in like the clear orange. Like, remember the biohazard state yeah. of the world address CD? It was like it was like that. It came in the orange case. And um it is definitely different. It sounds nothing like it is. It is really different. I just titled for the first time recently. I was kind of taken aback with how different it sounds, but well, Chris isn't like on it. it, I don't think. Yeah. It's yeah, it's um I, I had told Chaka before it was kind of ahead of its time a little bit, like a couple of years ahead with like Lincoln Park and all that. Uh, almost. Yeah. And I know that's a horrible selling point because I just it's the songs to me are so much. I almost better. think like orgy. Yes. Like that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, when it came out being I was a f- huge fan of Driver and this first uh, the first EP that we're mm-hmm. talking about. I'll admit I, I was not into it. My roommate. Uh, and friend, uh, when we were at college, he like he would always play because that was like when I was a freshman at college, and he would always play that album. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't know, like what the fuck is this? And then like several years ago, I revisited it as an old man mm-hmm. and listened to it in a different context, and it's good. I'm glad I got the vinyl on the way. And if you want vinyl, um, it looks like there's limited for people in the U.S. You can get it through uh, deathwishinc.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's clear orange with black marble and Coke bottle vinyl. So, nice. And yeah. the layout looks awesome. That, that was does. done by Simon uh, Tripconi, One Trick Pony on Instagram. And he does awesome Oh, he did that? For... He did that? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. he did. Uh, the, the tragic reissue that label did is beautiful. Um, it looks great. So I'm really excited to get this one. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that's why I like that your opinion can always change over time. Yes. And, uh, I'm glad that like, it, this is out there for people to hear. And yes, basically what I'm saying is if you heard it in 1999 and didn't like it, give it you another like shot it now. Yeah, I agree. So let's get to the interview. Yeah, let's kick it. This is 
So, what's up, everybody? We're here with two more members of Orange Nine Millimeter. We talked uh, with Eric Rice before, and we wanted to do a little supplement, a little 0.5, if you will, with uh, vocalist Chaka Malik and guitarist Chris Trainer. Thanks so much, guys, for coming. Thanks for having us. Yes. So I know you guys uh, <clears throat> listened to uh, our conversation with Eric. Uh, was there anything you wanted to, you know, kind of just piggyback on or what have you from what he was, uh, what he said in episode 31? I haven't heard it yet, honestly. Okay. I trust, I trust Eric and you guys. I haven't heard it. Okay. okay. How about you, Chris? Was there any, any like gaps maybe to fill in or well I, I don't know if gaps is the right word but um i do remember um i do remember when when we were rehearsing the songs for that first ep um that we were in this studio and a lot of the studios in new york city at that time were dominated by like professional bar bands or like metal bands that were trying to kind of like get a record deal. And we were in this rehearsal studio when we were playing Driver and the guy that ran the studio like came into the studio, he busted into the studio. He was like, whose song is this? Like whose riff is this? And when that kind of connected with like a person that wasn't quote unquote hardcore or post hardcore, which there wasn't really, that's just a name that we call it now. But we knew that we kind of like had something that would appeal to people and that felt really good. And um, I remember when we were recording in Don's, Don had this uh, garbage can that uh, he made me sit on when I was recording the guitar parts. And I was like, you don't have a chair? And he was like, pointed to all the records. I don't know if you all have ever been in Don Fury's studio, but uh -huh. he had like a bunch of the records that he had done on the side. And he was like, every guitar player that played on those records sat on this garbage can. And I don't know <laughs> if that's true or not, but I thought that was a really cool thing. And um, things happened really fast. You, you know, I was I was recollecting when I heard the podcast that Eric had left kind of pretty soon when like, w you know, things really had started to shift for us. And Chaka and I went into Bleaker Bob's to see the record on the day that it came out. And the guy was like, you know, you should buy this record fast because uh, these guys just got a major label record deal, which actually wasn't true. But um, he said, you know, and, and this record's not going to be available for that long. And I just remember the feeling of being next to Chalk and it's like a lot of a lot of what happened really was, you know, the legwork of what Chaka had done in his career before that. I think that's my personal opinion. So, like, we got swept up in it when we did our first show. Um, well, it was our second show. The first show was that um, that one that benefit that that you guys talked about in Eric's podcast. Mm -hmm. But the second show I think we did, and Chaka can correct me if I'm wrong, was at Bond Street Cafe. And it was so sold out that people were waiting on the street to get in. They couldn't get in. And there were all these record company people that had heard about us that were super frustrated that they couldn't get in. So it actually uh, kind of was the 
you know, the genesis of this like bidding war because all these older people that were trying to like latch on to a scene saw these kids like trying to get into a show that they couldn't do. And then these record company people that weren't used to being not included in stuff were not included in what we were doing. So stuff really took off pretty fast for us. And I would say that, you know, Chaka was a huge because I was coming from a little bit of a different kind of background and a different scene. And so Chaka's kind of direction and all the groundwork that he had laid previously with the work that he was doing with like Burn and, you know, his just musical education and stuff like that really made it so that when we did this, it took off instantly. And, and another side note is, is that we actually, I can't remember what night it is, but maybe Chaka could remember, but I'm pretty sure Pete from Mouthpiece was going to be in our band. He came down to, if we were going to have a second guitar player, and he had come down to Don Fury's to hear what we had recorded. And we went and hung out all at the Sidewalk Cafe afterwards before the record had come out, but it just didn't kind of work out. We, we wanted to stick to the, the original formula, but right before that record came out, we were, he was going to be the other guitar player in our band. We were going to have two guitar players. Oh, that's cool. See, we learned something new. Um, yeah, like the your playing on that record, we I'm sure you heard, we, we talked about it, is so just innovative and cool and just, you know, Burn was its own beast. And you got Gavin, who's an amazing guitar player. And then, so like... I'm assuming that you were a Burn fan, right? Like before. So that had to be a bit intimidating. And then you come out with just these pile driver riffs of like, like that Orange 9 record, the entire thing, the guitar playing just crushes on it. Um, so that had to be pretty rad. Like, yeah, it's Chaka's new band, but like you're adding a whole new, like your own style. Like it, it doesn't just sound like Gavin Jr. Like you can, can I share thing. something real quick? Yeah, I think it's kind of um, maybe maybe a, a kind of rope bridge between some of this stuff. Um, and I, I, anything, anytime I'm discussing something, I want to make it's got to for it to be interesting to me. It's got to be present. It's got to be actionable for me or yeah. other people. And kind of looking at kind of the time that that Chris spoke of, especially on that Bond, Bond Street period and the kind of energy that was in the proverbial room of New York City, kind of post hardcore there was just a lot of possibility and there yeah, was a yeah. lot of optimism, right? And there was also a lot of allowance from different kind of musical styles. And that was, that was even across, you know, at, at the larger scale of kind of the music industry or whatever, right? So I think that, you know, you, you can kind of, you ride the wave of that optimism and you take advantage of using that energy to create new sounds. And this is something that I love when bands do it today. I'm always looking forward to, to hearing people do this. But anytime you get that optimistic energy and it's and it's held up by something, you know, somewhat supportive, like we were really optimistic. I mean, I think that might sound like a pussy ass word, but we motherfuckers were optimistic. Like there was no mad mean. And, and you know, for Chris's guitar playing, what I think about his tones, I mean, we were um, liking a lot of the stuff from that brick poppy era and, you know, the Fender tones and these kind of chimey tones. You know, and I think that somehow he was able to bring that kind of, someone's used the word fun the other day, and I'm not mad at that word, um, but there, there's an openness, there's an optimism in the tone, in Chris's tone, 
And I thought that that was very unique where I think a lot of other bands, especially not from our neighborhood, had very pessimistic guitar tones, you yeah. know? And I think that Chris's optimistic guitar tone, the optimism of just the scene and stuff like that, I think that really helped to kind of create a great resonance and a kind of great example as to kind of what a lot of us kind of were feeling and, and ended up becoming kind of a record. You know, Chris, like, does that, does that resonate with you at all or no? Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think, you know, um, since I was, I think at that time I was learning a lot about music from you. So like a lot of those bass lines, like we were writing in your apartment and you were the first person, I, I think I've told the story once before somewhere, but you were the first person to tell me about the connection between the bass drum and the bass guitar, which seems so obvious now, but I had no idea that that's how it worked. And so like right. a lot of that, a lot of that music, a lot of the Revelation EP, in fact, all the stuff that you and I did together, it came from the bass. We were writing from the point of view of the bass. And so like the guitar kind of adding on on top of it, you know, like the, the way the bass moves on that stuff. Um, and you and I were kind of like really kind of designing that stuff. It allowed the guitars to be chimey. It allowed them to kind of be more open. And I remember think people thinking that, you know, certainly from New York, that people that had more of a kind of like unfriendly sound thinking that we were obscure. I felt like thinking at the time that we were one of the more obscure bands. Um, yeah, for sure. It was optimistic. It was all about an energy. In fact, didn't Sasha write our bio talking about energy? Wasn't our first bio about? Probably. I don't have a deep recollection, but that, that sounds like it makes sense. Yeah. And did you write the lyrics after hearing the songs, Chaka, or did you both work on the lyrics together? Lyrics were all written after everything was done. Okay. Yeah, like very, very last minute. Okay. I read yeah. somewhere that um, Jordan heard that you had started this new band and he wanted to hear it so that you had sent him demos without yeah, vocals yeah. over it. Is that correct? Dude, I don't know. Maybe, maybe no. Actually, maybe none of them had vocals. You might be right. I mean, there was one song on there called Devil Song. Okay. I wish we somehow still fucking used. I mean, but I think the, the rest of it turned into stuff, Chris. I mean, what do you, what, what's your recollection? My recollection is there was no demo. It was like we had sent him stuff that we had, we had. We went to Don Fury's one night. Yeah. Whoa, okay. So we went to Don Fury's. There was, there were no lyrics. Um, and, uh, you know, Chaka's lyrics is, have always been amazing. And I can remember just like looking at his notebook and like being so psyched about what was going on, what he was saying. I, Chaka, I heard you say one time in an interview or maybe even to me that you were trying to be less laborsome about the lyrics, but I thought they, they were free and kind of like big, you know? Yeah, I would relate to that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fuck, man. I mean, one thing I like about, about doing, you know, um, things where we kind of discuss some of the stuff about the past is that it just reminds you of things like this whole kind of fun, unlaboring, free flowing. I mean, I think it's a great snapshot of like kind of taking some fucking stress out of your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, think the, the lyrics on the record are so good. We talked about it in in uh when we talked with eric and just talking about like i love your delivery on it because it was different than what you like different than what you were doing with burn yeah. it did have like a little more groove to it mm -hmm. um 
But like to me, when I hear this EP, even if you guys were just like you hadn't done Burn and, and Chris, you hadn't been, and this was all your guys' first band, it sounds like so t- like it sounds like a band that's been playing together a long time. Yeah, you know, it's oddly, I kind of, I kind of agree with that. I think that um, there was just a lot of, of, of there was maximum openness. And I think that that just created um, the opportunity for, for, you know, stuff to happen. And Um, frenetic energy, don't you think? Like, like a lot of energy, like. But still open, but still open. You know what I mean? Still, still kind of like friendly dog park energy, you know? I like that. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, And I I just think about the, like you mentioned, Chaka, the climate at the time where that era, so many bands, like you said, not even just in New York, but just all over. I mean, that's how I got into this stuff, being like a 12, 13 year old kid in the 90s and you know, seeing what we now know as post hardcore stuff on MTV, like on 120 yeah. minutes. Cause like you had, I mean, your peers were into another signing and, you know, uh, quicksand and all that. And I had to just mm-hmm. be super exciting because there is that healthy competition of like, you're stoked to see your friends succeeding. And then you're doing your thing. And um, I can only imagine just how fun it was. Yeah. I, I, go ahead, Chris. I remember when I remember I was working at Angelica Kitchen, which is kind of like a, a prerequisite if you want to be in a band in New York at a certain time period. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people in bands worked either there or Prana. And uh, I remember when we got the record deal, actually, there was something about me that was like, not embarrassed not the right word but i just felt like whoa this is this is a huge step and i kind of didn't know how to relate to people in a way because i thought people would have been were going to be mad at me do you know for for that kind of like happening and we were i remember it was a time of like kind of really having to grow up you know we started you know we were kind of responsible for doing a record right away and um, we really bonded and banded together And I remember it as being like a a special, a super like amazing gift of a time, you know. And, you know, what's funny is I could feel that energy from way outside of New York. You got to keep in mind that, you know, I'm a young kid looking at zines and you can feel that energy that you were talking about and that optimism. But do you think that the term post-hardcore confines that energy? You know, I think post-hardcore, as I think it's a lot of post-hardcore shares a frenetic energy in different forms, even if it's a frenetic kind of, you know, sadness or frenetic, you know, existentialist, whatever it is, it's kind of, just kind of thing. But I, 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 I yeah, I, I mean, I, it's it like, think I, I'm, I'm really happy to hear how in retrospect, I think happy the energy was somehow yeah. through that medium of, of hard, whatever you want to call it, post-punk or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm realizing that almost now, actually, how positive the energy was. There were certainly, like, people, you know, like, I was hanging out with Tom Capone a lot at that time, and I remember there was an energy of people wanting to do something different. The interesting thing about hardcore is it's such a, it's a classic genre at this time, but it is a paradigm, so it's like the blues, and sometimes I think when people grow up playing a certain thing and they feel held to a certain format mm. and a kind of certain sound, they want to they wanna break out of that. And I do specifically remember, like I heard the Quicksand 
LP without vocals when they recorded it. And I was like, wow, these guys are really, it's like some of it sounded, some of the stuff, the way it was mixed before the vocals on and the way it was sounding um, was sound like Pink Floyd to me. Now it obviously doesn't sound like Pink Floyd, but Sergio had a bunch of like cool effects on his basses. And, and so I think people were really trying to like stretch the limits and none of us were really that I can recall concerned about maybe until later doing something that we thought people would be listened to, like it would be commercial. Mm-hmm. So it was like almost like Chaka was running around, like wearing really Chaka was the first person I know that was wearing full on Adidas suits in that, in that era. <laughs> nice. <You> know, <laughs> what'd you say? I said, nice. Yeah, and he was like, he stopped when, when he thought it was played out was when everybody, right before everybody That's started wearing true. it. And then everyone yeah. starts wearing it. And so I think there was like a real, you know, in a way it was, it was like, um, it was kind of like the 60s in New York in the, in, the, in the way that like people were like, we're just going to do this. Like we're going to, you know, and people were dressing non-hardcore, you know, people were wearing corduroy pants and 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 adidas shell toes so it was like that it was a different you could feel people like trying to break out and also we were growing up i was i'm a little bit younger than the other people on that scene but not much but you could tell we were trying to like okay now it's our world like what are we doing like how do we want to express ourselves and so it was this kind of like newfound freedom right and like put your own stamp on it instead of just retreading everything you want to leave like because look you you guys definitely left uh a stamp on things i i feel for the 90s i mean um and that style of you know like we said post hardcore whatever you want to call it and chris i did want to ask because i know you you um have to go in a minute um you played in a lot of bands since orange nine um i think when i saw helmet in the 90s i think were you on Aftertaste tour? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and I remember it even then being like, dude, this is cool. The dude from Orange Nine Millimeters and Helmet. I was in high school, you know, seeing Helmet. And then I know you played with Rival Schools for a bit and Institute and now with, with Bush. Um, do people ask you like about Orange Nine Millimeter? Like, is it something that, because to me, I always associate you with Orange Nine Millimeter because that was how I first came across your name. Like, do you run into like people that you wouldn't expect that are like, oh man, like Bush kicks ass. You guys are great tonight, but man, I love orange nine millimeter drivers. Incredible. For sure. I mean, the thing about, uh, I couldn't be more, it's weird, you know, cause it's, it's, I couldn't be more thankful about this, like reconnection with Chaka. We've been working on getting this record re-released for a while and doing some new artwork and actually like we're we're friends like we talk on the phone and like we have very frank conversations that i think maybe you know we wouldn't have publicly it's so easy to have a conversation publicly now but we have very personal conversations and he's my friend do you know and i've always felt connected to chaka on like a pole like we were on the opposite ends of like a magnet like spinning around like through the universe and so the that. fact that what'd you say? I feel that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, the fact that we put that EP out and then it's basically sold out, and we put these t-shirts out and it's basically sold out, and that people are like asking for it to be available digitally, like 
we, we, um, I'm so thankful for that, that there's this hardcore group of fans that it means still means something to them. And that means so much to me. And yes, when I'm touring with Bush, people come up to me with helmet records and orange on records to sign. And that's, that's a really kind of cool feeling. And, and what I, what's important to me right now is, is that, um, you know, it's that it's available periodically to people like my daughter and her friends like Orange Nine. Do you know, like it me and she's 20 years old. So to me like that, it's constantly available the way that it came out for younger people to experience that because the energy is still valid. It's yeah. not like we're talking about something that's dead, that energy and that feeling is still valid. And it will always be, uh, I think it'll always sound the same. Like some, it, it's relevant now. Like to me, like the the sound of each of the records that we did is relevant now because they're pretty raw. You know, all of them are pretty raw. The next two have a little bit more production, but there's not a bunch of stuff that like happens on like new records. So I think it's a very immediate thing, and you can feel what we felt. Yeah, yeah. I was so glad that, and I had told Chaka that tragic got issued on vinyl. Cause I always thought that was like such an underrated, you know, people seem to always talk about the first two, but I, I love tragic as well. Um, and it's, it's cool that now people can, like you said, people can get it. People can own the vinyl. They can stream it. They can listen to it and experience it. Like, yeah. like we got to in you know, 1996 or whenever it came out. Yeah. And tragic was this one that like, for, for for whatever reason is is a uh, more revered i think in the uk when i went over there with sergio vega to do some shows kids were constantly asking me about that record the hardcore kids that were traveling in and around the scene and um you know so i remember that's a very immediate record as well because uh yeah. it was just the three of us we were like didn't know you know we didn't know what our future was going to be and we didn't have much gear. Like I had borrowed Chaka's uh, Firebird guitar, which is like a total like hippie rock guitar. And I had a Mesa Boogie amplifier where the tubes didn't work. So it was just on solid state, you know, it's just like, and we just went in and recorded, you know, like together, the three of us. And so that was, again, it was very immediate, you know, it was a very kind of immediate uh, thing. Was, was that one, was tra Tragic was the one done with, Dave Sardi, right? That's correct. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because he did a bunch of cool stuff around that time, too. Like, I loved the stuff he did with Far, and uh, gosh, I forget what else, but I, I knew that he did yours, which was... He did Chili Pepper stuff that was good, too, I thought, right? I his mean, Chili Peppers record. He did a bunch of great records, and his, his his the Bark Market records are some of the best-sounding records, in my opinion, rock records that ever recorded. Yeah, they sound great. Yeah, I remember I was listening once to this podcast with uh, they were interviewing Jonah from far and it was it was a guy from um, uh, that band Shiner. Okay, it's not me. I know. It was a guy from the band. Okay, it's fine. It was a guy from the band Shiner and he was actually saying like, like, oh, it's something to Jonah like your stuff reminds me of like Bark Market. And he's like, well you know he produced this record so he's like oh wow like he even put the connection together that had that That's much amazing. of a recognizable sound to it but um yeah 
Hey, uh, Chris, what was the band that you went to the UK to play shows with Champions of Sound? Because I, yeah, watched, which... I watched the F with me podcast interview with you and you and you guys talked about it, but I wasn't familiar with Champions of Sound. And I couldn't find it anywhere. Is it's it... about to come out. OK. Yeah. You're, I actually have to do a video for that. OK. I, awesome. I just tried to do a video before. Did you do it yet? I, I didn't do it yet. And also, I think I did it bad. So I have to redo it. <laughs> I know. I've been waiting until I'm, I'm like in a chill environment. I was going to say looking forward to that. And like I said, Chris um super stoked to be able to chat face to face um you know really appreciate it and i think it's i think it's awesome i love seeing people from the hardcore scene like branching out and doing other things and i think it's awesome that you're you have this career with you know playing with bush and everything and um it's just rad i love i love seeing people from from the core you know yeah do stuff it's great it's inspiring well, i feel absolutely super lucky i see, feel lucky um because i know a lot of people that are way better at music than i am so if someone's looking out for me somewhere i feel blessed about it so i guess real quick before we you know uh cut off here uh we usually do hot tracks oh, shaka knows <laughs> so on the rev ep um you know jason and i already gave ours and i think we we both had the same one right jason yeah, driver. We both, we both had driver. Um, what's your hot? That's track? the obvious one. That's the obvious one. But come on, can't decide is the is the core yeah, song. Literally, I mean, li literally has to be can't decide. And that is the rec. That is the song that the, um, you know, interestingly, you guys talked about Mike Gitter signing the band, but it was actually his boss, Jason Flom, who who really wanted to sign the band. I'm not, oh, nice. Why are you laughing? I'm right, right? Of course you're right. <laughs> yeah, like we went in, we went into for, to Mike, and I love Mike. He's a great guy. But like we went Talk in and played him, him his demo. He we went in and played him his demo. We sat up at Atlantic Records. Shock and I was sitting there, and then he was like, "That's cool, but check out this." And he played like the new Jawbox, and I was like, "It was like a weird date, you know." Like, and then here's, um, here's another you know, guy was, I've been seeing. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, and then um, his 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 boss who had signed uh, Stone just signed Stone Temple Pilots, they were called Mighty Joe Young at the same time. Signed us because uh, he loved Can't Decide, actually, and um, that song is very similar, interestingly, to uh, one of the songs on the first Stone Temple Pilots record. Not saying that there's a connection between the two, but there's like a vibe. You know, between the Ooh, I'm gonna have to look for that. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look for I like that first Stone Tumble Pilots album, truth be told. Uh, I like all their records. Yeah. But is that not cool to say? I don't care anymore. No, I don't care. No, either. no, 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 no. Honestly, like hey, they, they toured with uh with Jawbox on that first LP anyway. So yeah. And I and I think Red Red Cross is another one of my favorites. They toured with uh Stone Temple Pilots on that, so What's your least favorite song? Well, let's go dark. What's your least favorite song? <laughs> on the on the Rev EP? Yeah. Man, that, you know, we were saying like that was the EP was one where like any song being a hot track would have been like I wouldn't be surprised. You're right. Like, yeah. So that, so like You're that's right. a tough question, but like But Chaka and I we we've been listening to it and and uh, criticizing each other's performances and stuff like that. Like, if you just change yes. that, 
<laughs> yeah, but I have a matrix drawn out that would that gives you the percentage of better success. Or... <laughs> Jason, do you ha- do you have a least favorite? No, it's a banger start to finish. It's yeah. Banger. I mean, I was thinking, I was going to say dry, but then that low key dry was going to be my low key hot take. You know, <laughs> dry is the one that I always. I always kind of forget until I hear it, what it is like the other ones I can hear immediately. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then, you know, yeah, same thing. It's low key. Like it's like a, 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 what do you call what, it? What, what were those, what were those kind of voicings? I mean, was it just, were you like in drop D? Yeah, I would play it in drop D and then in order to, uh, because the thing with drop D is that you can lay your hand down and then you can have all these kind of like different ex- chord extensions on the top of it. And that has a lot of, like the chords in those songs are very open. Yeah. And they're almost like jazz chords, which I think comes from the fact that we were listening to a lot of Tribe Called Quest, which was very like jazz influenced. Um, but I didn't know the notes on the guitar. Like you could have told me they were called whatever. I, I didn't know what the notes were. We were just going for like a sound. But the cool thing about Dry, I remember, is Don Fury. Don Fury loved that we were doing all these crazy time changes, which we didn't know we were doing, actually. We didn't know that. I love that. I love that. We had no idea that we were doing it. And Don Fury thought it was like, he said it reminded him of Peter Gabriel, like, because it was so like, he thought it was so prog. And he would, during dry, when he was mixing it, he would do this like dance to it, you know, like, he's like, you guys should do this on stage. He was obviously joking, but, um, you know, the whole you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We were I just, just literally uh, realized that that was a time change just now. I had no idea. Just, <laughs> just how the song went. <laughs> I think dry goes from four four to five four. That part. Yeah. That's the. Is that the off time part? Now I gotta go back and and play. That part's in four four. The main part's in four four. Yeah, I guess that's yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think the first part might even be in six, but also, like, I don't know, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody. That's the worst thing when, like, people, when, like, people, like, demystify stuff, and that's, I think, that was one of the cool things about that era. He's another song is number thirty-six. I've been demystified. It's in G major neutral, but. You know, like the, one of the cool things about that drew me to hardcore was like you kind of didn't couldn't get too much information about it. You had to like go to a record store some far away and then you'd see a magazine and you see like one still photo of people like jumping in the air and you'd be like, what is this? Yeah. And, and I don't think people have that opportunity anymore to like have some mystery about the music. There's, you know, everything is kind of available. So that search you know, that search and that quest for community. And that's one thing I, Chaka and I really relate to now is that, um, you know, it's about community, you know, in a way. And especially when we, when we moved, when we moved through it and we were doing the Champions of Sound record, which Chaka was on and, uh, you know, the way that we were all kind of interacting with each other was about community. And that was what drew me from like being, going to, Grateful Dead shows to hardcore is that like here's a community that's like a little bit more DIY, a little bit more together, and a little bit more um, unique. So that too to put out there that there was a lot of community going along with that feeling of positivity at that time. Was such an exciting time, even as a fan, like Jason said. Yeah, you know, and 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 I agree with the mystery. Like even the Orange Nine. 
Like I remembered opening it and you get that one, like, you know, picture of you guys yeah. walking. It's like a little blurry and there's like, it almost looks a bit out of place or like, what is this? Or yeah. yeah. I get that. So and, that's uh, 42nd street. You guys asked about that last time. And Eric, did, Eric wasn't sure about it. Mm-hmm. That was taken on 42nd street. John Marcus, who was a friend of all of ours. Uh, he worked at Angelica kitchen as well yeah. and did the cover for the early. He did a lot of the photography for the early quicksand stuff. Okay. And uh, he was a dude from San Francisco, very handsome man, great skateboarder. Yeah. And uh, he he took that photograph and that photograph was, um, you know, we just looked out of place. Right. Like because I'm like wearing overalls and we just happened to pass by a theater on 42nd Street. And that's where that photo was, because I know you guys asked that. Last yeah, because it was same thing. Like I'm like you hear the music and then you look and it's like it was super cool. And it was just neat to be. 14 or whatever and looking and kind of coming to your own conclusion i had no idea like it's not like i could go on youtube and watch a video like it was just like kind of imagining what stuff sounded like can i ask a broad stroke question to to anybody who wants to answer sure yeah please what do you what do you think is the potential upside of having you know all the old layouts whether it's something like as well let's stick with the orange man record right Okay. Where honestly, if you look at that record today, you you don't know what the fuck that shit sounds like. Yes. You have no idea what the band sounds like. You know, but if you look at, you know, a death metal record, you know exactly what you're in for, right? You know, how do you feel about, like, people having to look at the record cover, you know, try to do the math in their head, then put something on, and then try to put it together in their mind, how it all comes together and kind of what it might mean for them? Is that an up or a down, or what do you guys think? I love it. I love yeah, the fact that I love it. that the Orange Nine record. Here's the cool thing about the Orange Nine record artwork: if that record came out in 2021, it still looks cool as shit. You know what right. I'm saying? Like you would still go to the store, look at that record, and pick it up, no matter what genre you're into. I think, and would be like, "This looks interesting." You know, because yeah. it could be. I mean, it could be an electronic record. It could be a metal record. It could be a hardcore record. It could be a rock record. I wouldn't think it would be a death metal record, to be honest, but... Exactly, because they that's worn on its sleeve, and I think that's... I'm sorry, go ahead. You could have, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say that. I think a younger gener- the younger generation of hardcore kids now mm-hmm. really play with that. You know, like, you'll have a... Um, you'll have, like, a young hip-hop artist that will use death metal artwork. You know what I'm saying? Right. Something like, um, this is so off track of what we're talking about but uh someone like earl sweatshirt he yeah, has yeah, used yeah. like death metal imagery and that's just something yeah, yeah. that i think is cool about the younger generation but i think it would never have happened if it wasn't for people like orange nine that came before them to take the chance on doing something that was yeah and we bit we different. were biting we were biting jazz layouts for the record cover but that was new that was new at the that time new, yeah and it was it was you know it is funny too because now I feel like there's a real um, nostalgia for the nineties yeah. Um, in just in general, like in music, not even just in hardcore. Um, and somehow this orange nine record, which I love that it was a 12 inch. Cause I think it needed to be, it couldn't be a seven inch. The artwork needed to be, you know, in the big, uh, big screen. Yeah, 12 by 12. <laughs> but it's like Jason said, it's timeless. Like it looks like right. if that came out, you know, this week, looks sick. We love we were we talked too about how we love that the rev star was in the front. 
Yeah. Blue, like that's a feature of the jazz and blues records that we were listening to and, and modeled for that layout. Mm-hmm. You know, and the color and scheme. It, yeah, they they were in a similar position where they were kind of ganging up and saying, you know, these are the dope blues artists, and they're on whatever this Decca. You know, you got that <laughs> Decca logo fucking right banging up front. It's just yeah. like letting you know, and I think that the Rev Star, we wanted that to be up front in the same way because we were, you know, repping Revelation and also like kind of like giving it maybe some uh, additional flavor, right? Yeah. Giving it some additional cover, making it cover some additional ground, I guess. What do you think, Chris? Well, I think I think y'all are correct in the spirit of Chaka's question. I want to know, like, we're we're what of the Orange Nine shirts that you guys had would you like to see come back what was your favorite of those shirts so i've got i've got it folded up somewhere in this pile but i have the one i mean the classic one and i think eric said it was the first shirt design was the gun on the front um light bulb on the back my shirt's navy blue i think eric said the first ones made were charcoal we had charcoal we had charcoal Mm -hmm. yeah and i saw someone was selling one of those online um there was a purple one also to that. We had charcoal, Dude. purple, navy blue, green, that dark green. Oh, yo. The dark green with the, um, it's the magenta orange down in the front and the is the world on the back of it? Yeah. That's a revelation. That's a revelation shirt. Is it? Okay. Yep. Okay. That's, a, that, that's, that's the one I, that's the one I had. That's my vote. The dark is like forest green. And yes. I think it even had the might have had the Rev logo on the front. We're talking about non-Rev endorsed. Uh, we're gonna go rogue on this. <laughs> oh, and you know what else is? And you know what else is? Um, there was an Orange Nine shirt and it had like a Japanimation character on the front. Also, Gundam. yeah, that yeah. was sick. Also, and I mean, I would pick. That's something that's so funny that in the time period I would not have picked up, but now I'm like, yeah, I would definitely rock that now. Right. That was when we were on the Warp Tour. That shirt oh sold out. God. I think. It oh yeah. Spoke. We were selling 120 shirts a day, which for <laughs> us was massive. <laughs> you know? Were you guys on the on the Warp Tour '95, the first yeah, one? Yeah, right? first one. Yeah, right? very first. We were one, like, yeah. we were, you know, sometimes the first freaking band. You know, okay. so I used to have this thing where, like, I would kind of, and this, this is not, none of the, none of these things would I dare utter today. Um, but I just say, you know, what's up? We are the most. Expletive, expletive, expletive. Do this to your expletive, expletive, and just say all kinds of crazy shit. We are called Orange Nine Millimeter. Go to um, whatever. And that shit was crazy. People were fucking amped. I was fucking amped. Yeah, people remember that shit. I think people remember that stuff. Your intro. Uh, the most like that's where people like we'd be walking around you know like catering and it'd be like the name of this band and you know and, and so people would re- remember that and also i loved um i think uh, i think the uh when when chaka got hurt right you got hurt when we when we yeah. took you up to that chair yeah and, and uh where was Hard that georgia yeah we were in georgia and that was like um there were a lot of bands on that 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 really kind of like bust out. We 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 shared a bus with Sublime, and we'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And uh, no doubt, we're on that tour. The Deftones were on that tour, so it was a lot. Quicksand obviously was on that tour, and so it was like, and that we were like the first people to kind of do that kind of festival in the United States, and it was really low budget. I mean, I don't know if it was low budget for the people that ran it. 
But for us, it was very low budget. Oh, yeah, an L7. And yeah, sea- L7 seaweed. seaweed as well, seaweed. right? Oh, yeah, you're right. And the guitar player from Seaweed had a leather strap that he would put in the case after every show. Oh, no. When no, it was soaking wet smelled like swiss cheese whenever <laughs> they played so my my memory of seaweed is always tempered with the smell of swiss cheese <laughs> it was crazy i remember that's this interesting like i remember l7 i remember after we played like getting out of my shit just like going and sitting and watching l7 it was like a wind down for me to hang just watch l7 they were great on that tour they yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're a good band I, I mean that lineup that first you can't really fuck with that first warp tour lineup from 95 like that was like i mean like you said i mean i had no doubt when when you know no doubt just started to get popping uh, i think 311 ended up on some of those shows as well from what i remember really yeah I, that I, makes sense that era. I, i'm pretty sure they did there's a couple a few of them was it also sick of it all was on some of that tour yes you're correct oh yeah you're right yeah and that the war the run-up to that tour was uh Quicksand, Orange Nine Millimeter, and Sick of It All—not in that order, but that's how I'm remembering it. Yeah, and we did two weeks of shows running up to that, and those were some very oh, those shows very great. cool shows. Wow, was that after the Atlanta? That was well. When did the Driver LP came out? Was it out in time for the Warp Tour, or did it not come out till later? I think so. Right? No, it was out. Yeah, it was out. Okay. In fact, our whole record was out. Might have been out at that at that time period. Yeah, we were definitely playing it. Yeah, if you're playing it, that means yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like I've seen promos where it had like a sticker with all the the Warp Tour dates, like the helmet or whatever or something. Yeah, like Yeah, Orange, Sea Orange Nine. Oh million. yeah, dude, absolutely. It's at the fucking um one of those Big Daddy Roth um cassette promos page it says on 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 Warp Tour, right? Yeah, yeah, the Hot Rod, and they came out on a seven inch. Yeah. Oh, I own that. I yeah, own that Hot Rod, Big Daddy Roth. Ed Big Daddy Roth did that. And that was, this is before the extreme jeans era where that stuff kind of got worn out, you know, mm-hmm. with like the hot rod stuff. But um, he didn't want to let anybody use any of his artwork. And we were really, we, we worked with this artist, Taz, yes. the rec- record com- cover, who lives out in Malibu now. And um, he was traditionally doing like this kind of poster art, like retro hot rod stuff. And we, Chuck and I didn't want to do that. We wanted to do something that looked a little bit like more classic and Warhol-ish. So we went to a uh, we went to a pawn shop and bought that orange helmet. And actually, somebody shot a hole through it. Um, we photographed it w- one way and then shot a hole through it for the next one. But um, for the inside, that that hot rod, which is so amazing, like that 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 whole record cover looks dope too. And um, Ed, Ed Roth didn't want to let anybody use his artwork because he was very religious. And he said, and we asked him, please. And he said, okay, send us the lyrics. And uh, we sent him Chaka's lyrics and he said, okay, you guys can use it. So the that's awesome. Uh, that rules yeah. to be able Whoa. to use it. Dude, that, I mean, the driver record is one of my favorites. I love it. I, uh, I was, I did, I might've asked Chaka before, like, uh, cause you guys worked with Dave Jordan on that. What was that like? I think it was like, uh, I, in a, in an odd way, like, let me, let me be perfectly honest about it. Actually. I think we, we, we were put out there and we were kind of, we were kind of left out there and we were doing this thing that we had never done before. I'd never been, I don't even know if I'd been on a, I must've had been on a plane (laughs) before. 
I must have well, been we on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> I must have been on a plane before, but you know, like we were out and it was really kind of a, I think it was a weird time for us. And I think it was, it wasn't the, the, the greatest kind of flow, but I do love that record a lot, you know, and I do think that record um, has a lot of influence on other bands that kind of like came out around us. I know it influenced the Deftones in a lot of ways. And I always meet people that are more in the rock and metal scene that, that love that record. And they're like, that really influenced me. So uh, you know, each record that we did was a different vibe, although they all kind of sound, they all kind of make sense and they are all very immediate to me, at least. Yeah. Like I would have liked to hear the driver LP done at Furies, you know, mm-hmm. like, like with like, cause I know the Civ LP was done there. So like, you know, done at Furies, but like you guys were able to spend a lot of time there with it. I think it could have been, you, know. you like compression. What? You the... like the sound of compression. I think that's what like it, it was. Like Don's thing was very specifically like compressed. I, I, I also think that's why the second quicksand record is called Manic Compression because yeah. Don Fury's <laughs> sound is like very compressed. So it was like... Um, what do you tell people what compression is Because for it, so it makes sense? Yeah, because like I said, this is... I, I, like, I like hearing this because I couldn't put my finger on what I well, but, uh, liked about it. You, you have a sound, right? And um, let's say you have a you have a drum and you want to be in an 80s band, right? So the drum goes like this, right? Well, you see, you're taking compressor and the compressor, what it'll do is it'll give you X amount more volume every time it goes over the amount, it goes over a threshold. So you can take a sound that might have a short, uh, a snappy attack and a short decay, like, and you can make it go, then you put a reverb on it, it's going right? So you take some of cuff and via up some compression, which does make it smaller, but might elongate it and it allows you to kind of control the tone. Listen to all those dance uh, records, they sound similar in a sense because that's his sound, right? The sound means how someone likes to control how they like to hear music coming out of the speakers. So Don employs a lot of compression to achieve his sound. Honestly, I, I love how the work, Don's work on the, on the Burn EP, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would have enjoyed having all the Burn records done there in the original s- style. But I do think that the Orange 9 LP driver being its own thing has a, you know, a great sound. This guy, um, um, Rush the Drum Doctor, where they had this thing where they mic, you know, they bring it, they have speakers in the, in the live room and they're micing the kit and the kit, the sound is coming flying back out to the speakers and they're micing that. Right, so you're, you're adding all this to create, you know, that tone that's dangered and signature. <sighs> Think about those James Addiction records, the Alice in Chain Change records, how those drums sound. So these are some of the technique techniques that he was using, and I guess that was his his you know finished product with us is what we, what we have. So I, I think it's great. Yeah, I prefer does the that make sense, Chris? Yeah, it's perfect, and I, and I prefer the sound of the the uh, the the driver not included as well in fact i chaka you we were together we went into the mastering thing and they were mastering the quicksand record right before we went in mm-hmm. and we were like make our stuff more compressed and we fucked up the mastering <laughs> i tried to make it more compressed and we had to redo it and the guy wouldn't let us back in the room like you know <laughs> but um 
yeah, it's like the thing about Don that was cool was it was guaranteed to sound good in a certain way. Exactly. And the thing about like stretching out of that, what we wanted to get out of it was like, we didn't know what it would sound like if we did it with somebody else and like what would come. And I actually have to say for me personally, I learned uh, the bulk of how I know how to re record guitars from Dave Jordan. Like that was a that was mega true. learning experience for me. I mean, I would have done the same thing as a, you know what I mean? Like, like as a fan, I can say, Oh, it would have been cool to hear that. You know, you can play. What if, I mean, I'm sure you guys do it with all your you know favorite artists too. Like, Oh man, imagine hearing the demos for this or what if they did this this way, but like being in the band, I would have done the same thing. Like, Hey, we're on a label. They're going to let us pick a producer. Like, let's try this. Like, why not? What, you know, to do something maybe out of your comfort zone and, uh, learn some new stuff and it ended up paying off dividends for you because like you said, Chris, like that taught you how to record guitars. You know, that's, that's priceless almost like yeah. to, to work with someone that knows what they're doing and, and worked on, you know, like Alice in Chains and Jane's Addiction. I forget what, maybe Social Distortion. I think he did. Um, so it's cool to have that experience and then get to, you know, work with other producers too, which, and you know, you, both you guys have done. Absolutely. Very cool. I'm just thinking about a shirt with the rhino on it. It doesn't exist. That photo is Chaka's father's photo, by the way. And just respect to him. He was a fantastic photographer and Thank you, bro. beautiful man. And I learned a lot from him. And uh, that, that was his father's work. Yeah. That is an awesome photo. It is. a lot. Love it. Did he tell you the backstory of how Jordan asked? He said he wanted to know how he got so close to that rhino. I think that's a zoo shot. Okay. He definitely wasn't in uh, the Sahara. Oh, what? <laughs> Actually, you know what? He may have grabbed that because he went. He was in South Africa. I you know what? I don't even know. I okay. Maybe it might have been. I don't know if they have those animals in Haiti. It might have been in Haiti. Something you know, still needs to stay a mystery. It might be old enough that it was shot in like 74 when he was in South Africa. You should do an NFT of that. That photo. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, well, Jordan said you guys couldn't find the original, right? For the for the um the repress. Yeah, I have no idea where those images are, sadly, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Powerful photo there. Yeah. Love, yeah. Love thanks, it. man. So what? So what? What do we? What did we agree on for the um for the shirt? What? What's if we had to all kind of agree on the best orange nine shirt? What would it be? It's a lot of pressure, you guys, because you're actually now you don't know this, but you're deciding which shirt we're gonna redo. <laughs> I love the I I, I always love the the globe logo. Anything with that, I just always thought that looked so cool. That was that a rev shirt, Chris? Yeah, right. It was that. That was a rev shirt. I disagree with you loving that. I disagree I'm with you too, one. Greg. You're fired. I'm fired. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason. Another another choice. <laughs> the guns classic. Yeah. I think the gun too, bro. Honestly, yeah. Hey, you, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you say that that was on a purple shirt at one point? Yeah. There That's it is. It needs to be purple. Yeah, purple because it's not readily, or you know, I haven't seen anyone resell a purple Honestly, one. Well, I would, what I would do probably if I was to do it today, I would do a pale neon green and some kind of a neon, some kind of a rich, like a rich pink, like a seventy. I'm not gonna argue with you. 
Seventies break dance pink. One I'm into word. that too. One word. Sold. Yeah. <laughs> I love that stuff. I love it when people take chances. We all, me and Greg always talk about this. When people take chances on merch, as far as colors go, it seems to always pay off. You know, even if someone's like, oh, that looks, did you see that shirt? It looks so, the colors are so bad. It looks so ugly. Like, it still looks cool. That's what he told me. He's like, yo, man, your props because, you know, your colorways, you know, will always go for those burn shirts. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely like way left field colorways. And mm-hmm. ahead of its time because, now, like I said, I'm more prone to get something that's in like a fun color. Yeah. Just like a black tee. You know, yeah. I have enough black t shirts. You got to go black tees to play it safe a little bit, though. Normally, if I so if I were to do uh, merch designs for a band, they always have one black shirt just because a lot of people come up to the merch table and that's what they want. But um, you see the crazy colors. That's the ones that I go for. And usually it's funny. The crazy colored shirts are the ones that people in the bands all seem to go for. You're on a tour. All the bands that are playing are like, I want the crazy colored shirt. Everyone, you know, everyone that comes yeah. up, they want the black shirts because that's the safe bet. But. I mean, the crazy colors joker. I mean, I want something I put it on. I want to smile. I want to feel like I'm going to have fun because I put the shirt on. Yeah. Yeah. No cap. Yeah. But Chucky, you look good in, in everything. I don't know. Oh, you're very I'm nice. I'm going out of the house in the <laughs> lime <laughs> green. <laughs> I see. I love it. I, I love it. I love the bold choices. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, that's, that's awesome to uh, sew that up. And also just as a side note, we, we're, we're we're not putting the stuff out digitally it's part of the well at least maybe i'm speaking out of turn but i do want people to experience this this first rev record the way everybody experienced it and i think there's something uh cheap about just being able to go on your phone and play it i, I want people to have that experience of putting the needle down maybe i'm alone in that but i would take all my no, records I off I, I don't blame you i, I think that that's that may that's an approach yes i'm just going to short answer yes yeah i mean i i have the 12 inch and i have the uh i have the little cardboard cd too in the car oh shit nice yeah so um wow i'm okay i'm okay with it i just like i like having them on spotify for like a mix but you know what like for that for your rationale i agree it kind of keeps it like keeps it on brand like it's like it's like it's 1994, where you either had it or right. it, for, it forces you to go to take a step, right? Mm-hmm. If, if there's more committal, the more steps you take, then the more you're saying yes, 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 right? I'm into this rather than saying I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to put up that record on in vacuum because there's not enough time before you have to flip it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like I said, I something about 12 inch um, EPs. I love. They sound great um and but it's still like you get the full artwork and everything whereas if it was on a seven inch you know this 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 layout isn't conducive to that i mean yeah it was on a scene i agree it looks so much better as the as the the big lp i would agree 100 percent. awesome dude thank you both of you for archiving it and uh thanks for your for your time and and we we appreciate it thank you thank you both thank you yeah and uh thanks greg best of luck to to both you guys and your chaka will of course be in touch um
I hope you enjoyed that conversation um, with Chaka and Chris. want to thank both of them for coming on. Um, and, you know, it was, it was just neat to talk. And it was wild, like, talking to Chris because he's played on a bunch of records uh, I really like. Like, you know, he was played on with rival schools for a while, and he played with Helmet for a while. And um, now he's in Bush. Like, that's pretty crazy. Bush is a big band. Like, so I was definitely honored uh, that, that both of those guys would, would talk to us. Um, and we hope everybody learned a little something new. And, uh, you know, you have a new appreciation for that 12-inch, the Orange 9. What do you think, yes. Jay? Yeah, it was awesome talking to them. And I think it was cool. I mean, how did the interview come about? Oh, how I did, mean, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we did the interview with Eric, and it was cool. Uh, Chris had reached out and said, yo, I love – like, you know, one of the things I think that's neat about what we do is I feel like we've definitely, like, reconnected some people or at least, like, brought back memories to people that maybe they wouldn't have had otherwise. And he said, oh, it was great hearing Eric talk. I haven't heard from him in a while. Um, I have some more information. I know you guys – you know, because even I think in the interview with Eric, we – had some like, oh, I don't know the answer to that or whatever. Yeah. And um, he was like, I'd be happy to come on and chat. And I was like, of course. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, and I brought this up on the last Orange 9 episode, but uh, you can check out Chaka's podcast slash video show on YouTube if you look up F with me, EFF with me podcast, and you can see him talk to Chris more about Orange Nine and Beyond, and uh, not the band Beyond, Orange Nine, Beyond, Champion the Sound. Um, and also, he has an interview with Sergio that was cool on there. Yeah, and he's got, um, you know, the Ghost Decibel stuff. Um, I think he's got, he has another new project I saw, like a duo. So Chaka, he's always, he's always, you know, moving forward and, and creating. So people like that that are always kind of doing stuff, it's nice that they'll still talk about the, pe- the past things and, and reflect on it. Yeah. Uh, and Chris is doing stuff with Bush. I saw Bush is, uh, I think, going on a European tour. Uh, is it this year or next year? Or I should have. I should have. Uh, I'll look at your homework. Uh, yeah, I follow on Instagram, Bush. Yeah. Uh, their Instagram handle is at Bush. Uh, and yeah, European tour in 2022. Um, and then, you know, of course, uh, Chaka, if you want to follow him on socials, is ghost underscore decibels. And then Chris, uh, Chris Trainer is uh, CT and then the number three guitar. Uh, also on Instagram. So you can yeah, keep up with what those guys are doing. They're always creating. And um, it's awesome that, you know, they even talked in the interview about reconnecting as friends, uh, you know, over this band. And it seemed to me like Chris and, and you know, Chris, if you listen, I don't want to put thoughts in your head, but it seems like he knows like a lot of the trajectory of his life happened because of this band so it's a special thing you think like he was playing with that that's how they worked with 
Dave Sardi and Dave Sardi was how he got in touch with helmet and, you know, or whatever. I think he said helmet and it just kind of snowballs and it really started with, with this. So. Agreed. Hav, what do you think? Sorry. I was playing Pokemon go with your son, Greg. Dude, he, <laughs> he is so. <laughs> he you know, it's, he's like it's, he's like Javier is literally the best dude ever. And he like, <laughs> all the stuff. He's like he got this whatever, and it's thirty thousand. He goes, I know you don't know what this means, but he's telling him like, that's cool. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny because I've noticed that like. 12 year olds will will try to call you out for playing pokemon go because like oh that's so three years ago i started playing at the beginning of lockdown as a way to like walk around the you know we live in the suburbs to walk around the block with my son and catch pokemons and like it tracks how many kilometers you walk and you like play i think it's i think it's a genius it's fun man i i I agree i think there's like and that's why we love it he goes out for walks now yeah it was it was whoever invented that um i think john pokemon probably invented john john j pokemon Um, yeah but anyway he's a genius because it gets you to you use your device but you also get out and get a walk you're walking around um, I, I, I wish that Chaka played Pokemon Go so I could be friends with him on Pokemon Go because he'd probably be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, it, it was hard for me to get into Orange 9mm because I was so used to the burn 7-inch and anything that wasn't the burn 7-inch, I was like, this is a weird, like, this, this, is, not, this is not what I want to listen to. Uh, that, and that was, a, like we said, a very young uninformed opinion and as i got older and revisited stuff and gave stuff another try as varied as their catalog sounds i think that there's something cool for on every record on every release and i wish that i would have paid attention to them in real time because now i see the videos of them playing and i'm like oh there's you know chaka's energy was great in the orange nine millimeter days like and the, um, watching all three of those guys uh, uh, across the front of the stage, Chris, Chaka, and Eric, was is really cool to see on video. So um, I'm glad that I, you know, as as I've proven, I will at least give something a chance before I say I don't like it. And revisiting Orange Nine Millimeter for this podcast has made me more of a fan of the band so even this record i was the first time i put it on i was so thrown off like what what is this i'm a huge fan of electronic uh industrial oh you mean the new one yeah yeah i call it new (laughs) yeah the new one (laughs) pretend i'm human yeah um and like even the cover art it's so different but it's so cool so yeah i i think this record is cool and it's i i i wasn't there when you guys got to talk to Chaka and Chris, but I think that it's really cool that they kind of initiated the idea to continue the conversation about it. And so I, you know, everything about this episode have approved. That's going to be my new catchphrase. Have approved. (laughs) I'm with it. Kid tested, have approved. Yeah. Like kicks. Was it kicks? The serial tested mother approved. Yeah. Yeah. Kicks was boring as fuck, but it was also 
a delicious treat. Yeah. <laughs> How about berry berry kicks? I like that no, too. I'm but I'm a vanilla kicks guy. Okay. But yeah, no, Orange Nine. See, it's funny because I heard them before Burn. Oh, okay. So, like, because I heard this EP first. And yeah, just like I mentioned in the interview, and I probably mentioned in the one with Eric, is like, I just, I love this record, the Rev one. It just has such a special place for me, that and Driver. Um, but I, I also celebrate, I can find bright spots in the whole catalog. And I love that no two releases sounded the same. Like, it still sounds like the same band. Like, you can tell, like, you know, it's Orange Nine, but every record was different. What did you think about them saying that they don't want it? Uh, well, if I remember correctly, Chris was talking about how it, the record should be bought and then you should listen to it on a record player as opposed to having these songs streaming. As someone who, um, you know, understands music as an art form and, you know, who buys physical media and like, and buys it on purpose because I like to have something to look at. And especially this record with that, the layout, like we talked about and just the bright colors and everything. That part of me is like, totally agree. Then there's the part of me that's like, damn, it'd be nice to be able to listen to yeah, this. That's where I'm at also on the go, but, but that's what the CD slip case in the car is for, I guess. And I do, I do have the MP3s, but I'd rather be able to stream so I can actually send to someone to like, yo, check out how fucking good driver is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but yeah, Fair it's cool. Point. It's cool. And and I'm glad the albums are on there and uh, people can listen to them. Yeah. I've been buying CDs. Maybe I need to pick this one up also. Oh, buying yeah. CDs again. Get it. Dude, don't even get me. One of the coolest things now is going to the record store and like, getting vinyl, but also looking and occasionally grabbing like a budget CD and just leaving it in my car. Like I leave them in the car. Like it's the only place I have a CD player. So like I was at record store day, I bought a stack of records and then a Posey's CD because it was like $4.99. I was like, I'll throw this in the car. Yeah, that's what I do. I listen to Killed for less than a hundred times because I bought it on CD. Yeah, so I don't know what uh I guess this this is it, right? I don't have anything else to add. Um and what do we got next time? What do, well, let's say the next rev release that we have to talk about is the Engine Kid Iceburn split. Nice. Which good good time to mention the new Iceburn uh comes out. I believe the street date is uh, this airs on a Wednesday. It'll be two days after this airs. Oh, so cool. Ch- check that out. Um, Southern Lord records. Uh, mine says it shipped already. I pre-ordered one and, uh, damn, that's going to be cool to, to hear. Yeah. We're looking forward to, um, talking about it. The new ice burn. I was told this is straight from the man himself, Greg Anderson, Southern Lord, the man said it's burly. Burly. And that is like the best. Like, so I can't wait to dig in. I'm sure it's just heavy as hell. So, all right. That's all I got. All right. Cool. So, like, well, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode, or we'll see you next time. We'll see you then, or we'll see you <laughs> on the next time. <laughs> and if I don't see you, good evening. Wait, what is <laughs> Truman Show? I forget the one. <laughs> 
What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit up bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tennell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focus, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Logan Weasel, Maddie Cox, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. If you'd like to help, please check out www.whereitwentpodcast.com for information about our Patreon, where there's all kinds of cool stuff every month and just, I don't know, cool stuff in general. You like cool stuff, right? Cool. See you next episode.